Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast covering your favorite crew featuring Peter and David Go. Before we get started, we want to introduce our blog to you that will be a part of our podcasting. A link to our blog can be found in the podcast notes. Bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com is where you can find it. Currently, we have previews for this season league-wide, as well as a piece that is focused on the Brewers in 2020. More articles will come as the season rolls along, so be sure to check that out for your latest Brewers news and analysis. Again, you can find that at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com, and the link can be found in the podcast notes. Today's podcast is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor is a free and easy-to-use provider for all of your podcast needs. There are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or mobile device, and Anchor will distribute your podcast to all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also make money with no minimum listenership, and overall, we've been very satisfied with Anchor for these reasons. So if you're interested in creating your own podcast, be sure to check out Anchor for all of your podcast needs at anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, or by downloading the app on your favorite app store. Again, that's anchor.fm or the Anchor app, A-N-C-H-O-R. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode three of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Today we're going to be covering the updated rules and regulations that Major League Baseball has put in place because of COVID, as well as breaking down the 60-man player pool that the Brewers announced and talking about who we might see making the opening day roster. Let's get right to it. We will have baseball starting July 23rd, 2020. Definitely not what we expected for this year, but I think it's safe to say that baseball fans are really happy to have this coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of contested labor talks, animosity between the owners and the players. So it is actually great to see that we will have baseball. I think that even amidst a lot of the disputes that the, the owners and players are are both excited to get the season going. Yeah, I think it eventually got to the point where uh, players, owners, obviously the fans were just wanting to get back out there and play, which I think helped in the talks and the negotiating that they did do. It does feel like a long, long time ago that the Nationals won the World Series. Mm-hmm. It feels like two years ago almost. Yeah, or even that uh, the ball squirted it under Trent Grisham's glove. That was the start of the Nationals postseason well, let's run. Not, let's not oh, bring sorry. that one up yet. Still too soon for that one. <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, definitely exciting to, to have baseball coming back soon. We're obviously really excited about it. Um, but today we're going to be covering, like I said, some of the updated rules and regulations that Major League Baseball has come out um, with uh, as a result of COVID. So first off, 60-game season obviously is an update to what we typically see in a 162-game season. Um, and the Brewer schedule will be against simply NL Central teams and AL Central teams, um, which is interesting. It does change their schedule up a little bit. Do you see that helping them or hurting them? What do you think of that? Overall, I think it's kind of indifferent. I do like that it will allow there to be more competition between those teams with two-thirds of the games coming against the teams that we will be competing for the division title with. We might not see that in a regular season where they end against the Rockies 
three True. times out of four. They always either start against yeah, it's always saying. start against the Rockies at home, ending with the Rockies on the road. I don't know if anybody else feels like this, but I yeah. feel like in the last like twenty years, like at least twelve of them have have been opening day Giovanni Gallardo. <laughs> yeah. Giovanni Gallardo starts yeah. against the Colorado Rockies and the Brewers lose four to two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's been about half of the last opening days, at least of my life. Yeah. But anyways, I think it is good um, that teams play their their division more often. And especially for the NL Central, where really pretty, well, maybe not all the teams are competing for a, uh, the division title, but it's obviously a very competitive division, and there's really not much you can do as far as making excuses, because you have a lot of games against your division, so mm-hmm. play well mm-hmm. against your division teams, and you're going to win the division. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really more so in your hands. Mm-hmm. And the, the breakdown of the schedule will be 10 games against each of the Cardinals, Cubs, Reds, and Pirates. And then six games against the Twins, and then either three or four games against the White Sox, Indians, Tigers, and Royals. What's the what's the reason behind the six games against the Twins, and then less against the rest of the division? So each team has an interleague rival where they where they play against them every year, at least at least three or four games. Uh, even though they they don't the Brewers don't play against the AL Central every year. Got it. Like Yankee, yeah, Yankees, Mets, or right. uh, yeah. Royals, Cardinals. Yeah, for that, those would be examples. And so that's why they'll have one series at home and one on the road. Yeah, it's definitely. I think the AL Central is a pretty good division. Obviously, Twins, a really good team. White Sox and Indians, very good teams as well. And then Tigers and Royals being minor league teams, maybe. Uh, but I think it does balance out as far as what they would normally face as far as difficulty. I think, it, like you said, I, I don't think it, I don't see it making a, a huge difference on the Brewers' uh, difficulty on their schedule this year. And perhaps the most significant rule change is the universal DH, which has been debated on for decades um, now, and they have decided that the DH will be universal for both leagues this year. Do you see this helping the Brewers uh, with guys like Ryan Braun, Logan Morrison, and some other big bats that they can get into the lineup? Mm -hmm. I definitely do see it benefiting the Brewers, maybe more than most National League ball clubs. They have a lot of depth, so they can kind of mix and match depending on who needs a day off because even though playing DH is not a full day off, there is a lot because you get to be taken off your feet playing the field during the entire game. And it could potentially prolong Braun's career. He said that he will not make 2020 his last year. It seems like the Brewers should be willing to bring him back. He's still a solid solid everyday uh, bat in the middle of the lineup. And so if we are looking at possibly a universal DH permanently going into effect in 2022 after the collective bargaining agreement expires, we might see Ryan Braun in a Brewer uniform for a few more years. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to bring up. Um, So even though the universal DH has been put in place this year, it's not set to continue going forward. But like you mentioned, with the new collective bargaining agreement coming up, that could be something that changes. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be the general consensus now um, that is desired that DH just become universal. Mm-hmm. And you even look at some of the other levels of baseball, whether it's professional or even below that. Minor leagues, only at the upper levels of National League teams, sometimes they have they have pitchers hit. Just so that they know what to do with the bat. Yeah, and, and otherwise you have DH everywhere throughout the minor leagues, everywhere throughout college, everywhere throughout travel baseball and high school, other professional leagues. I believe only the... One of the leagues in Japan has pitchers hit, and one has DHs hit. I'm pretty sure maybe every other professional league, at least the main ones, have designated hitters. When you stuttered there, I thought you were about to say you you thought there was some little league team that yeah. that had that didn't have DH. But yeah, it, it has become really universal across all leagues, all levels. 
it, it's just a matter of time now. And, and isn't there some story about the, where the DH almost did get passed decades ago? Yeah, in the 80s, there was a National League owners meeting. All 12 owners got together and they were going to pass the universal DH being implemented. However, two owners put their vote in the hands of a different owner and said, please vote in favor of the DH for us. But when the other owner got there, he said, well, if I if I vote how I want to, I have three votes. I will change the way that, the, that it gets elected. And so that changed the result of it. The universal DH did not go into effect. I think this was in 84. And so for the last 35, 36 years, we have had pitchers hit where we would have otherwise seen a designated hitter. Which which we can uh, thank that owner for Brandon Woodruff's home run off Clayton Kershaw, mm -hmm. which we would never would have had. So. One of the great moments in, in Brewers history. Sadly, it probably is. Yeah. I, I, that was, <laughs> at least as far as memories that stick in my head over the last five years, I would put that up there. Um, as one of the top memories, at least for me speaking. Maybe it's not mm -hmm. for the average Brewer fan. That's because you didn't get the alert before since we were watching it on true. delay. That's true. Don't watch it. If you're watching on streaming, you got to turn off those alerts. Um, and another rule change that, that MLB has passed um, has been a change to how extra innings work. Um, could be disputed by some traditional fans who aren't a big fan of putting a runner on base, but after ninth inning, after, sorry, every inning after the ninth inning, they will begin with a runner on second base, and that runner will be the last out of the previous inning. Um, for those of you who played Little League Baseball, maybe you're familiar with the California rule. Mm -hmm. As far as why it's called the California <laughs> rule, I don't think anybody knows, but it's called the California rule. And I believe that one was runner on second and one out. Is that yeah, correct? and sometimes it'd be a 1-1 one, one count on the first batter. <laughs> I have no clue why. Somebody just like threw yeah. out some numbers, and that's how yeah. they came up with the California rule. But anyways... Definitely makes me think of that, but runner on second to start the inning um, makes it definitely more likely to score. Mm -hmm. It's less likely that games go to 20 innings. So I, the, the point of it is obviously to minimize the number of long games and that what it can do to pitching staffs. Mm -hmm. and it also will be interesting to see. I, I don't think this will happen with only 30 players, but teams may carry a, a pinch runner. Not not necessarily a guy who only runs. We're not going to see a, a return of Quinton Berry in the majors oh, or Terrence Gore, <laughs> but uh, but but we may see a guy like Keon having yeah. a little bit more of a yeah. likelihood to say. Actually, one thing this would not be uh, be held in in high regard by traditionalists. But what if after the tenth inning we had a home run derby? Have <laughs> three guys they each get five swings, and kind of like NHL shootouts, right? Similar notion. Now. Yeah, traditionalists would absolutely despise the idea. But think about how fun it would be to have a ballpark and you're just trying to hit home runs and whoever hits the most home runs out of those three hitters wins the game. I don't really see it as being any different from, from shootouts, really. Yeah, I feel like like uh, Schwarber's value would just have gone up. Mm -hmm. Matt Stairs' value would have Matt gone Stairs, up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's definitely... I, I have heard that idea floated or something similar to it floated. I, that would be tough to get through nowadays maybe give it another 20 years when we have mm -hmm. some of the older oh, the yeah. traditional fans uh -huh. no longer here but it's definitely interesting and again the the whole point of it is to try to speed things up um, and keep the games moving and avoiding going through your entire pitching staff another big change that they made was the roster size um, we talked about how we're going to dive in later about the brewers uh, 60 man player pool but Effectively, what they announced was that each team would have a 60-team player pool that will come um, when they resume camp, and then each team will be able to carry 30 players for the first two weeks, 28 players uh, two weeks into the season, and then 26 
for the rest of the way? How do you see this impacting the league and the Brewers in particular? I think specifically with the Brewers, it provides them with a distinct advantage. We've seen each of the last two years, the Brewers have gone on significant September runs. They've actually been the best team in baseball each of the last two Septembers with expanded rosters. We won't see 35, 36 guys on the team, 17-man bullpens. But Council clearly knows how to work his, his pitching staff really effectively with a few extra relievers. We might see that working to the Brewers' benefit early in the season. Yeah, you mentioned the bullpen. Um, and as far as how that would help. But I think that also helps the Brewers a lot as far as the position players. Because like you mentioned earlier, the Brewers are a very deep team. Um, they don't exactly have a ton of... I mean, they have obviously some star talent, but as far as when you compare them to the Astros or some other teams, they don't have as much of the star power, but they do have a really good... Um, they do have really good depth, and I could see that being used to their advantage. Like you said, mix and match matchups mm -hmm. on the offensive side as well as the bullpen. Um, I do see that really helping the Brewers more than the average team who doesn't have as much depth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually another change to the rosters will be the way that transactions will occur. A little bit different, but the trade deadline will be held on August 31st instead of July 31st, so small tweak there. And then we see a little bit of an adjustment to the injured list. So we were actually going to see a 15-day minimum injured list in for pitchers and 10 for position players in 2020 with the possibility of a 60-day stint as well. However, in 2020, we will see 10 days for everyone, 40 days for everyone, and then a COVID-19 list, which actually was already utilized by the Phillies last week, placed a number of players that tested positive for COVID. And any player who either tests positive, exhibits symptoms, or comes into contact with an infected individual will be eligible. I believe if you test positive, you are required to be placed on it. But if you just come into contact, if you're not exhibiting symptoms, you're not required to. And there's no minimum or maximum amount of time on the list. If you bounce back in a couple days and test negative twice, that will be that will be the indicator. You must test negative twice, and each player will be tested every other day. Yeah, so not huge changes, not going to drastically change the way baseball is played this year, but it is small changes as far as the days, like you mentioned, on the injured list, as well as how uh, testing positive for COVID will affect players. And hopefully we don't see, obviously, hopefully we don't see um, a large number of players test positive, but it could be possible that that could play a role. You'd hate to see a team making a run and then losing a couple of their players for two weeks or longer or however it turns out. So definitely just for the game and of course for everyone's health and safety, we definitely hope not to see that this year as far as um, a large number of players testing positive. Like we mentioned earlier, there'll be no fans in the stadiums. Um, they have mentioned that it's possible like we talked about earlier, um, but really the best case scenario would be maybe 30% capacity. And obviously as soon as they open up, I don't imagine teams having any issues selling tickets out. Mm -hmm. Maybe Tampa. Maybe Tampa will have their first sellout. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, like I said, best case scenario is 30%. That's definitely what we're hoping for. And then you also mentioned that um, players will be tested every other day, and that'll also include the staff that will be there too. Because unlike uh, the NBA, where the NBA will effectively be in a, inside of a bubble um, in Orlando, I believe, mm -hmm. um, and won't really be allowed to leave, uh, Major League Baseball won't be in a, bu in a bubble, um, and they'll be tested every other day. And then there's obviously some other rules in there that we don't need to talk about spitting and all those other things, chewing tobacco going away, um, which could really be the end of chewing tobacco yeah, in baseball. I, I, I think we should have a whole podcast episode yeah, on the, the depth about of chewing the tobacco. History, yeah, yeah. That's probably a big part of the game. 
Yes, well, it, it's been some, yeah. the, the two are basically the same. The history of baseball and the history of chewing tobacco are <laughs> yeah. pretty much the same. They go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and a few players have actually opted out of the season. So if you are a high-risk individual or you are a direct family member of a high-risk individual that you live with, you have the ability to opt out while still receiving part, if not all, of your pay. And you also can opt out otherwise but you will not receive your pay if you are not a high-risk individual. So four players so far with, with the potential for more have opted out. And yeah, I, I even heard Trout talk, just mentioning that he's feeling a little bit uncomfortable playing. Now, obviously he didn't say he's not going to play, but if you saw a big name like Trout or, or even Yelich or Hira or whoever, uh, whatever impact player on any team, that definitely, definitely excuse me, could play a role in how this season rolls out and ho hopefully everybody's able to stay safe mm -hmm. and play for the sake of everybody and for the sake of the game of baseball. Mm -hmm. So let's break down the 60 player pool that the Brewers have going into the new spring training part two. And first let's take a look at who do you see making the rotation out of the 60 player pool? I think this one is fairly, fairly straightforward. Woodruff, Hauser, Brett Anderson, Josh Lindblom, and Eric Lauer will be the five starters, assuming they go with a five-man rotation. Burns will probably make a couple starts depending on injuries or how the games line up. Freddie Peralta might. We could see Shelby Miller. Possibly he is on the player pool, but no, nobody really outside of those I would see making starts. So do you think the five-man rotation makes sense given the updated schedule and the Brewers' arms that they have? Yeah, I still do, and early in the season, they probably will be only going three, four games, excuse me, three, four innings per game, and so I think that they will lean heavily on the bullpen regardless. I think it makes more sense to go still with five men in the rotation. Yeah, and I agree, and the three to four innings from the starters should benefit the Brewers a little bit more than maybe the average team. Mm -hmm. We don't have the same bullpen that we had. Um, well, really, we, haven't, we don't have the same bullpen we've had in the last couple of years we've kind mm -hmm. of been spoiled with how good the bullpen's been um, for consecutive years but I still do think the Brewers bullpen is gonna be able to um, outperform their starters overall mm -hmm. when you compare them who do you see closing games for the Brewers this year or did the Brewers even have a closer I think Knable will be closing games that was his role even when they did have Hader and, and Jeffress some of the time it'd be Knable obviously Jeffress is gone Hader is more of a bridge guy sixth seventh eighth inning type multiple inning reliever. Knable's more of the lockdown guy, the stopper at the end of the at right. the end of the bullpen closing games. But I do think that one name to watch if the Brewers give him an opportunity in the bullpen is Eric Yardley. He is my type, right-handed submarine. You have a type. <laughs> you have a yeah. type. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I guess yeah, Claudio is kind of yeah. your type suitor. Yeah, right. Who was it? Who was the uh, the Brewers? Ben Rowan. Ben Rowan. Ben right, Rowan. Right, right. Yep, he's, he's kind of like Ben Rowan. But Eric Yardley is a submarine right-handed relief pitcher who to totally shoved at AAA <laughs> last year with San Diego. Didn't get much of an opportunity. The Brewers claimed him off waivers, but I'm excited to see him being potentially a a key piece of the bullpen if they give him an opportunity. Yeah, I think two other guys that are that are intriguing this year are going to be Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, and I think they'll play a big role in how the Brewers' bullpen performs as a whole. Which of those two guys are you more bullish on this year? I am more bullish on Freddie Peralta. I have been for quite a while, but Peralta added the slider in the offseason. He threw up about 80% fastballs last year, and he had a curveball 
rarely used to change up. Seems like the slider was really working for him in the spring. I do think that Freddie Peralta will play a big role. He signed that extension in the spring. He will be a mainstay, whether it's in the rotation, the bullpen, some of both. He will play a big role in 2020. Yeah, and I think as the Brewers roster um, transitions, Jeffress leaving, I think his bullpen role steps up a little bit as well. And I think that could be good for him um, as he moves into that kind of stretch, kind of hater-like mm -hmm. role where he can come in at any point in the game and get out um, for a couple of innings. Of course, at the catcher position, there isn't too much to cover. Um, we've talked already about our offseason recap with the Brewers, losing Grandal and adding Narvaez, who will be the primary starter behind the dish alongside Pena. Uh, we don't need to talk too much about that platoon. Mm -hmm. Any additional thoughts there at the catcher? Yeah, I actually do like David Freitas. He won the Pacific Coast League batting title last year in AAA, and he's, he's more of a depth guy. But he's actually not a bad backup if one of the catchers gets injured. And I do see a Narvaez-Pena split of about maybe three out of five for Narvaez. Yeah, like we've talked about before, Narvaez obviously has the bat um, and Pena the arm. So I think they do complement each other well. Um, and I, I don't think it's a huge loss uh, when you talk about Grandal to the platoon. It, it's a loss, obviously. Um, but I don't see it being detrimental to the Brewers in any way. The infield is definitely, um, there's some more question marks there. Um, Orlando RC is going to be interesting to see. This is kind of, he's been given a long leash and he seems to be at the end of it. So mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how he plays out this year. Um, do you see RC getting more time um, than the Brewers edition, Luis Urias? I definitely hope Urias gets more opportunity than Arcia. But I do think that the competition may help Arcia. He looked very locked in in spring training could see the same as we begin the season. Urias was just top 25 prospect not too long ago. So I, I would like to see Urias getting more reps at short. Jim Callis of MLB.com said that he actually sees Urias more as a second baseman. We do have Keston there, so I don't think Keston's moving anywhere anytime soon. They're not going to move him to first or left. Could get a few games in at DH. DH, but, but, but not full right, time. Right. So we will likely see a lot of Urias at short with maybe a little Sogard or Holt th thrown in there. Yeah, speaking of Sogard and Holt, uh, who of those other guys, uh, especially there's a fair amount of new additions, Jerko as well. Um, who, do you, who of those players do you see making the biggest impact um, on this 60-game season? I think that uh, Eric Sogard will. Eric Sogard had a very, very bad year in 2018, was going through some personal issues that were undisclosed to the fans, and rightfully so. However, he bounced back significantly last year, Right, had a very good year. Three years ago, he was very good with the Brewers as well. I think that Sogard will be a solid player on the strong side of a platoon at third base with Jed Jerko. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting platoon, obviously completely switching it up after Travis Shaw left. But I do see potential definitely in Sogard if it, if it really was just that one year um, having the personal issues that affected his play on the field. Could be a pretty good uh, duo over at third base for the Brewers um, as they replace Travis Shaw. And Hira obviously has been great since he came up. Do you see any regression um, for Hira? Do you see him, where do you see him going from here? I see him as being a very good hitter. A little bit of regression, his batting average on balls in play was over 400 last year. And for those that aren't familiar, can you just share what bat, uh, yes. BAPIP is? So batting average on balls in play is pretty self-explanatory in the name of it, but the average is right around 300. The harder you hit the ball, the more balls are going to 
become hits. However, it's not as many as you might think for the average fan. So Mike Trout, for example, his batting average on balls in play, I believe is only usually up around 310, 315. Yelich hits the ball very, very hard and a lot of line drives, which are gonna fall the most. So his batting average on balls in play is usually right up around 350, if not more. Hira was hitting the ball very well. His hard hit rate was, I believe, in the 98th percentile among all hitters who qualified about 200 plate appearances. I do see Hira only hitting about 260 to 270 this year, but he will take his walks and he has plenty of power even in his small frame. So I see Hira being probably the second or third best hitter on the Brewers. I definitely think Brewers fans are hoping you're wrong on that one, but Hira obviously has come onto the scene, exceeded expectations, that's for sure. Um, obviously made it to the major leagues very quickly um, and, and was a played a big role in the Brewers' success last year as well. And, and the outfield, a little bit less questionable than the infield. Obviously, the extension to Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain coming back again to start in center field, and we still have Ryan Braun, uh, like we mentioned, who will probably get some time or will for sure get some time in, in the DH role. And when Braun's at the DH role, who do you see taking that fourth outfield spot? Avisail Garcia will most likely be an everyday starter in the outfield. He will slot into right field, Yelich taking most of the at-bats in left, and Braun actually will probably play in right field when he is playing in the outfield. Ben Gamble may make the opening day roster, he may not, and Keon Braxton was actually included on this as well. He returned as a minor league free agent after being with the Mets and Mariners last season. Yeah, like you mentioned earlier, Keon with the speed and defense. It'll be interesting to see if they choose to keep him um, for any part of the season um, at all with that explosive speed that he does have. And for the little time that he had with the Brewers um, and mediocre <laughs> performance overall, there's definitely a fair amount of memories um, from his flashy defense out in center field. Mm -hmm. So that's the recap of the Brewers 60, uh, 60 man player pool. Like we mentioned, this will get cut down to 30 um, at the start of the season on July 23rd. Any more thoughts that you have, David? Yeah, just be sure to check out our other podcasts. We will have some more in-depth analysis. We have a, a separate podcast on the starting rotation, the bullpen, some of the other position players. So those will be releasing throughout this summer camp that the Brewers will be holding. And if you're interested, it's only about 20 to 25 minutes on each position group. We dive a little bit deeper than we did here, more of a bird's eye view in this podcast. Yeah, definitely check those out. So we've got another edition of our rapid fire questions. Pretty self-explanatory. I ask questions to David at a rapid pace and he must answer rapidly. So today, question number one, who do you see as, or who is one player of the 60-man player pool that you see as the Brewers' sleeper? Logan Morrison. He said that he is in considerably better shape than he was even in his strong showing in spring training. He's dropped some weight, improved his, uh, his strength and his mobility, and he seems locked in and ready to go. Yeah, definitely could, could, could see an impact from him. Um, could be a little bit of a wild card for the Brewers this year. Who do you see as the Brewers' 2020 Cy Young? Brewers' best pitcher in 2020 will be Brandon Woodruff. I can say that with pretty pretty fair amount of certainty. He was their best pitcher last year, at least in the rotation. He figures to have an increased role, um, provided that he stays healthy. Right. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, Hayter, we expect to have another really tremendous year. But Woodruff having presumably uh, more innings, like you said, assuming he stays healthy, 
Yeah, it could be it could be a really. I know last year was a breakout year for him, but if he puts up those numbers again this year or even better, it could really be a breakout year for Woodruff, um, which could be really good for the Brewers going forward. All right, final question for today: Who will have more RBIs this year, Ryan Braun or Keston Hira? Keston Hira will have more RBIs for the Brewers this year. He figures to have a little bit more playing time. He also may hit third or fourth, while Braun might hit behind Hira, which could work to Braun's advantage. However, Hira may hit directly behind Yelich. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the, the real question is who's going to hit behind Yelich, and that's probably the answer to who will have more RBIs. And the, and the quantity, obviously, of at-bats as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We'd appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Brewers Podcast.